Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello, and welcome back to Unstruct. In this episode, I sit down with Sharice Lakeside, who is a senior specification writer for RDH Building Science out of the Portland, Oregon office. And we talk about the intersection of specifications and structural engineering. So as structural engineers and architects, part of our job description or part of our submittal process typically also requires us to submit specifications. So we have our drawings that we submit, but then we also submit a specification book, which is essentially eight and a half by 11 sheets of text that give the contractor instructions as to what is expected for the project. So the drawings are kind of the actual plans, more of a graphical format, and then the specifications are more of a text format. So this is kind of, or is, Sharice's area of expertise. And the thing I love is that Sharice actually has her own podcast. So she is the host of Our Cat's Detailed Podcast. And I think she actually has a large following. If I remember correctly, it's hundreds of thousands of downloads. So the information that she is putting out there is very valuable to our industry, and it was super exciting to have her on the podcast. And I say this during the podcast, but I still believe it in retrospect. I'm recording this after our interview, but she brings a lot of animation to specification writing, but also very direct and concise as to what is required. So one thing that really stood out to me is that she talks about how it's important to only list things once, and that sometimes there is such a thing as having too much information. So I found that very interesting. And I think that holds true to 
Sharice's personality as well as just being concise and direct as far as what is required. Try to make it efficient, but correct and a high standard. So she's been in many areas. She's been in the architectural side. She's been in the MEP side and now is in the building science side. So she is a CSI fellow and a recent recipient of the Hans William Meyer Award for Innovation of Certification Programs. And she actually teaches a class in specification writing to get certified in specification writing. So a lot of times, I think prior to this interview, a lot of times I was incorrectly thinking of specifications as kind of the final step, the last little piece to tie a project together to submit for permit or for construction. And it was very interesting. And I think you as the listener will also find this very interesting to kind of realize, or for me anyway, I realized how much I am opening myself up to ambiguity by not putting as much emphasis and importance on the specification phase. So with that, I am going to hand this over to Sharice and we are going to get into specification writing and structural engineering. And if you haven't already, I highly recommend checking out Sharice's podcast, Detailed, which I will put the link to that in our show notes. Thanks, Sharice, for being here. Thank you so much, Carrie. I am kind of excited to be here now that we have met and become friends. And we are part of what I jokingly call the Gable Stable. <laughs> Yours is also a, a podcast that Gable produces. And so I'm excited to get to have to sit on the, I think I'm excited that I get to sit on the hot seat today as opposed to doing the interviewing and the questioning. Yeah, but I feel like this isn't a hot seat. It's just like a happy hour between friends. (laughs) And I was thinking about this this morning. I feel like this conversation, so structural engineering and spec writing, like I feel like a lot of times they both get a bad rap for being boring. And I am confident that this is going to be the most exciting conversation about structural (laughs) engineering and spec writing. So I am so glad that I get to have it with you. (laughs) No pressure at all there. No pressure. (laughs) I know it's going to be there. So, okay. So a lot of times I think as structural engineers, spec writing, it's a lot of times it's part of our construction document package. It's something that we hand over to the contractor for instructions for building a project. But a lot of times it's not thought about until kind of the final stages of design. And with that, I think sometimes it becomes almost an afterthought and maybe not as well thought through. So you being a spec writer, the first question I have for you is, if you could give some advice to structural engineers when it comes to spec writing, where would that go? Or what would you have to say? Well, I think I want to qualify this before I answer this question, because I don't want structural engineers to feel like I'm picking on them. I think that while we're going to talk about some things that are specific to structural engineering, all consulting engineers Most of what I'm going to say applies to all of them. And the fact that some of these things are things that that we need to do better. I also want to say that it is not your fault to these engineers. So I don't want anybody to feel like I'm coming at them. Because to be perfectly honest, I'm really putting my own self on the hot seat right now. Where some of these things are falling down typically falls on the architect, not the engineer's. 
So I just wanted to qualify that before I answer this question Mm -hmm. so that they know I'm on your side. And by the way, I have worked on the engineering side. I work on the engineering side right now at RDH Building Science, but I've also, I spent six and a half years in MEP engineering. So this is not somebody on the architecture side, although most of my career has been there, speaking to something I've never seen or experienced either. Mm -hmm. Important qualifier. Yes, I have. I have crossed to the dark side. And I kind of like it over there. First, one of the things I wish structural engineers or any consulting engineers would understand, number one, is specs and drawings are a part of the contract. There's a reason they're called contract documents, because those agreements say, here's what counts as a part of the contract. And specs and drawings, which are complementary, go ahead, argue with me, structural engineers, (laughs) are complementary in the eyes of the law, because the contract also says that. So that's the first thing I'd like engineers to understand. The second thing is a cornerstone of spec writing I I would like the whole planet to understand. So please blast this episode out to the whole planet. Cornerstone rule of spec writing is to say it once and say it in the right place. Say it once, not 25 times in 25 different places. So drawings are supposed to show your design intent. The locations of things, identifying what those things are, like one word, identifying what those things are, dimensions and sizes, details, diagrams, connections, shapes and forms. That is all that is supposed to be on your drawings. Your specs, they call those the quantitative requirements. Your specs are supposed to show the qualitative requirements. Materials, installation requirements, administrative requirements specific to that spec section testing, installation, those kinds of things. All of that is meant to be outlined in the specs in one place. And there's a reason things appear where they appear. Specs don't belong on the drawings. And the comment I always hear is, well, I have to put this on the drawings because the contractor won't read the specs. Let me tell you why the contractor won't read your specs because you're putting all that crap on the drawings. (laughs) I'll be perfectly honest. If you followed the say it once and say it in the right place and understanding contractually your drawings and specs are equal in the eyes of the law, why are they equal? They're equal because they give you two different pieces of information. This one tells you what all these products and materials are and how they need to be installed. And this one shows you where they go. There's nothing repeated there. That's why Go read an AIA contract or a general conditions. It says the drawings and specs are complementary. They're two separate pieces of information. If you actually followed the rules of spec writing, the contractor wouldn't be able to build your building without reading the specs. But we do this CYA behavior. Called structural general notes. (laughs) We'll get to those puppies in a minute. You know, but we do the CYA language on the drawings. And so the contractor looks at that and they go, "Ah, I think I know what they need. And they go do it. And then what do we get? A change order because in the actual spec section, there are more details and maybe there was something special or unique about that that they missed because you gave them just enough information to take a shortcut. And in a time is money business, which this is for all of us, if you can shorten your time, you make more money. But if you shorten your time in the wrong places in this business, you don't. You lose more money because then you spend all this time dealing with the conflicts. So the quote I was going to share is straight out of, write this down, listeners, the CSI Project Delivery Practice Guide. 
It is the textbook for project delivery, education, and basic spec knowledge. They also have a construction specifications practice guide that goes into more detail on specs. Should be your Bibles, by the way. The quote is, it is not practical for construction drawing notes to include information to properly, properly specify products in their installation. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about structural general notes then, right? Because we let's are, do that. Because <laughs> we're putting a lot of that information. And I think from a practicing professional or structural engineer's perspective, sometimes we're like, oh, what if the specs aren't included? You know, there is that piece, just like you kind of were talking about earlier, Sharice. But what if that's not included? So we think we have like more information is better a lot of times. But what happens in that, just like you were saying, is then you have conflicting information possibly. And if the contractor is reading and trying to discern conflicting information, it opens a window for change orders, for things to be wrong, right? So yeah, I guess what are your thoughts on structural general notes then and what they should entail? So and structural is not unique here. Civil is, if civil is paying attention to this podcast, they do very similar things. And this is more common of structural and civil to do all of basically do their specs on their drawings. They've got so many notes. Other disciplines, consulting disciplines do it as well, put too much information on the drawings. But here's the problem I see with structural notes, and it kind of depends on what's happening with your project. So let's just use a really standard model of I'm the structural engineer working for an architect and I'm doing the structural piece. Well, they have, what has happened is they have been burned over the years and they added a note so they don't get burned the next time because this particular architect didn't coordinate properly with them. And that piles up over the years and there's all these general notes and there's two places those cause a lot of problems. Division one of the specifications, which are all of the administrative requirements for that particular project. And then in the actual spec section itself that maybe the architect is writing, because their structural is one of those disciplines that has some crossover with architectural. Like sometimes both disciplines need to look at that spec section. And so structural will put these notes on, and let's start with the uh, Division One requirements. So they'll put some broad general note about cutting and patching. I love that example or submittals, or all of these things that are defined in Division One and apply to the whole project and are the architect's job to define, not the engineers. And so they'll put these notes on there. The architect is not coordinating this stuff with their consultants. And this is where we, I'll say we, because most of my career has been in architecture, we have really fallen down. And that was an aha moment for me when I moved from architecture to engineering and had to Tell everybody, okay, I'm the jerk for all these things I always complained about with consultants, not understanding how they work and what they have exposure to and what they need to know that I was never telling them that I should have been. And so you end up, the architects got their requirements, you've got these notes, and they're two completely conflicting notes. And then you get to the technical sections and got these things on the drawings, and the architect went and wrote a framing section or a rough carpentry section or whatever. And they've put other stuff in there and nobody talked to each other. And you've got two requirements. Well, there's this lovely little thing called the Spirin Doctrine that was decided in the U.S. Supreme Court in 1918. 
that says the contractor is entitled to documents that are clear, concise, correct, and complete. And if they are not, they are off the hook for that conflict. So they're already off the hook and they know this. If your documents are not done correctly and the rules for contract documents are very clear, it's just nobody's telling anybody that these rules exist and there's these things that you have to do. And so that's the biggest conflict is that there is just information that clashes with the general conditions, with the vision one, with the technical aspects. So you have, it says something is one inch here and it says it's a half inch here. Again, not specific to structural, but structural is more verbose in the notes that they like to put on drawings. So is civil. And those create nothing but problems. That information, I would say, 99% of the information I see in structural notes belongs in the specs and it doesn't belong in the drawings. And if they're working for an architect who isn't writing the spec, they should be saying, okay, let me provide you a spec section. It also makes the drawings, if, if you get that stuff, quit doing that, quit saying things in 20 places and say it where it belongs and say it once, all of a sudden the specifications get really clear and really concise and so do your drawings. People like to write these, you know, drawing tags that have all this information that doesn't belong there on them. And your drawings in, on a bigger, complicated project get really hard to navigate, which opens a window for conflicts. So that's kind of how I feel about structural notes. Get rid of 99% of them and start writing a spec section or collaborating with your architect to get the spec section written properly with your input. Okay. As you're talking, Sharice, one thing I'm thinking about is like when we're in engineering school and I don't know about architects, but I know for us as structural engineers and civil engineers, we don't ever take classes about specs. Like, so this is all like on the job training and it's usually at the 11th hour when things are stressful and high anxiety anyway. Do you know of any school that offers specification training? So let's start with the architects. The architects aren't getting it in school. And who is leading the most projects? Architects. The architect. And, and the consultants work for the architects. And the consultants are bound contractually to the same thing the architects are. So if the architects aren't learning, then they're already not doing it right. Any architects listening would be well served to hear any of the advice we talk about today. So they're not learning in school, or they might have one practice class that maybe has one two-hour class that talks about specs a little bit, and it's really broad. Usually the professional practice class is more about how to run a firm than it is how to deliver a project. Mm -hmm. And the attitude of the design schools for everybody is we're going to teach you to design, and then your firm is going to teach you how to deliver a project. So I call it the cycle of abuse. If you've never learned it right, what are you doing? perpetuating it in a wrong way. <laughs> yeah. And you're taking guesses, you're putting something in and all of a sudden this becomes part of your legacy documents. And the next younger professional coming in, you teach them wrong. And this has been, I've been around a while <laughs> in this industry. And this has been my biggest complaint since the very first time I ever touched a contract document a lot of years ago. This is nothing new. What the problem is, is nobody is telling anybody out there that there are places you can get this education on your own. And I happen to teach the first level of this education program. So CSI is the only place I know of that you can get 
a comprehensive education in project delivery and contract documents and specification writing. Those are their three main certifications that would apply to the design world. The only schools I've ever seen that have actually crossed into that a little bit have been a couple of construction management programs. I've had somebody in my CDT class who actually had a little bit of education on on this stuff. That's the only place I've ever seen it. None of the schools are doing it. They're throwing them out into the work world. They're all learning the wrong way from their senior people before them that learn the wrong way. And then there's this small group of us that found CSI. And you don't have to be a spec writer. That's a, that's a key thing here. Those two books I mentioned a little while ago, the Project Delivery Practice Guide is the textbook for project delivery education. The Construction Specifications Practice Guide is the, the textbook for deep dive on how to write a spec. They have a thing called section format that outlines for you exactly what's supposed to be in a spec and what where things belong in detail. And then there's the construction contract administrator's guide, practice guide that's used for people who are going to be more involved in the agreement side of thing in the construction contracts. And it's not just how to write a spec, but how to deliver a project without getting yourself in contractual trouble. For instance, a submittal is not a contract document. So if you get a submittal, you know, architect forwards you a submittal, you need to review. And you look it over and there's some things wrong with it and you make some changes to it and send it back to the contractor. And you do that without a change order or an ASI or an approved vehicle for contractual change. You have just taken on the risk of everything in that submittal because you have changed it and it is now that none of those changes are contractually approved. Okay. You can't make a change on a submittal. Mm -hmm. Substitution requests are not contract documents either. You can't approve a substitution during construction. All of these are things that I would think would be like, everybody knows this. And I teach a lot of students. And probably over the last 10 years, my estimate is somewhere between 700 and 1,000 students I've taught in the last 10 years. And nobody knows these things. Right. Nobody. So that's our big problem. So CSI is the only place I know of that has that comprehensive education. Okay. And you don't have to get the certifications to get the education. You could just take the class or you could just buy the books and use them like your Bible. You start reading them and it gets really fascinating when you think you know that and you're going, oh, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, that's easy. So that's my advice. You know, if to buy the books, if you don't want to get certified, you don't want to take the class, fine, buy the books and actually read them. Taking the class brings it all together. Getting the certifications, if you can do all the work to read the book, you might as well get the extra letters after your name. But it'll be game changers. I have yet to have one student in all these years that has said to me, this wasn't intensely valuable to have this knowledge. And I can, I can only do so much training one person at a time. And you know, there's a thousand things to know, but just having a reference manual on your desk that you can look at before you make a mistake yeah, is a game changer. So I've been practicing for 20 years or whatever, and I think the mentality that I've seen that I've had and that I've seen is that just like we treat it as like that final thing, it's like just like a necessary thing to include. And I don't think I have given it the level of importance that it 
needs and that it is because just like you're saying, like without that being ironclad, you are opening yourself up to liability. You're opening yourself up to your design intent not being properly implemented. It's a lot bigger deal, I think, than a lot of times us as practicing structural engineers realize. Well, it is. And, you know, you may have a a short little couple page contract that you're signing with your architect, but there's a statement in there somewhere. It's called flow down language that says you are bound to the requirements of this project. But yet many engineers in many disciplines won't look at anything beyond what's in their little world, beyond their piece, but yet you're bound to everything in that specification, all those administrative requirements, all the rules of the road in Division One, And to be perfectly honest, and I'm sorry, architects, you're not going to like me for this. It's the architect's job to coordinate those things properly with you, to look at your drawings and say, you can't have this information on here. It needs to come out. Mm-hmm. And, hey, this is always a conflict. What do you want to do here? Mm-hmm. And they don't do that partially because they also don't get this education. And now that our generations are shifting, most of our spec writers, trained spec writers, are baby boomers who are now leaving the industry. And they had so much competition among themselves that they didn't do a very good job of mentoring and sharing their knowledge. So all of a sudden, finding a trained spec writer is like finding a needle in a haystack. And I know this by the number of calls I get from recruiters on a weekly basis. Nobody can find a spec writer. And so what's the result of that is, which is making life worse for everybody, And if it's worse for everybody, it's going to affect the consultants if it's happening in the architect's office, is people are just saying, hey, you project manager, write this spec. And they've never touched one before. They have no idea. They just think it's words on a page. Mm -hmm. They don't think of it as a contract. And go through one lawsuit with your firm and be in. I've been through two in my career. And, And not as a result of anything I did, but my firm was in that I had to help dig out all the information. Nobody wins when you get there. And you will lose if you have conflicts in your documents and you're not following generally accepted procedures. But most people think of it as this doorstop. Mm-hmm. It's a contract. It's an actual contract, just like you know the contract you signed to buy your home or your car and legally binding as such. Yeah. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA Continuing Education Services Provider. Upon completion, we handle everything, from reporting your hours directly to the AIA, to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Well, I think sometimes too, like... When we're looking at a spec section that's a template, there is a mentality of like, 
it's done and put together. And like, I just need to either take out some things or, you know, change the things that are bolded or whatever. When in reality, there's a lot of time and effort that has to go into redlining that and reviewing it and making sure that it applies and doesn't conflict with other areas. I think there is just like this mindset of like, it's pretty much there. It's a template. It's pretty much there. We'll change a couple of things and it'll fit. And I think a lot more effort goes into it than that. Well, in, in another thing, I mean, the information that you are adding to that template, are you adding it correctly? I mean, one of the things I see happen a lot with consulting engineers is they will put warranty information. They will add some warranty information in part three of the spec section. Warranty information doesn't belong in part three. And, and there's this mindset, well, you get warranties at the end of the job. Part three is installation. So that's where you should add it. Manufacturers reps do the same thing. Manufacturers reps, stop it. But not only are you putting it where contractor expects to see it as it may affect the pricing on the project, but are you writing it in language you're allowed to use in a spec? There are words and things you shouldn't shouldn't say and ways you're supposed to write things. I've taught the CDT education program in every firm that I've worked for in the last 10 years. And the thing that I love is watching this light come on. And watching the engineers I work for asking the architect, wait, we're not supposed to do this, and educating their architects, calling them up and saying, we've got this access panel we need for this special equipment. But hey, architect, you're supposed to write the access panel section because you're the architect and that's division eight. Can you please include this in your section? Instead of doing what historically has always happened, that mechanical goes and shoves this access panel in the middle of some mechanical section somewhere where no contractor is going to look for it because that's in division 23 and access panels belong in division eight. It's a simple example, but those, those kinds of things happen all the time. And so I think engineers, it is the architect's job to coordinate those things with them. But the fact of the matter is it's not happening. So engineers can be proactive to protect themselves and get this knowledge and don't let these things happen or call the architect and say, hey, we need to coordinate this. Or they can run around in the dark until they end up in a lawsuit and then they'll never do it again. Yeah. No, that's that's crazy to think of. The other thing I'm thinking of too is like so many times I think we're afraid as structural engineers and maybe architects too, like we're afraid to pare them down, like we're afraid to take things out. So like, for instance, maybe the concrete section, maybe there's something about stained concrete in there. And we know we don't have any sort of stained concrete in the project, but what if it pops up somewhere and it's going to be there? So what do you have for advice for us as architects and engineers to be okay paring it down and making it specific. Because I can only imagine that that's very annoying for contractors to have all of this like superfluous information in there that doesn't even pertain to the job. So what is like maybe a mindset or advice that you would have to be okay with (laughs) taking some things out where it needs to be taken out? (laughs) I'm really, really glad you asked that question. (laughs) One of the kind of cover my butt kind of behaviors that happens a lot in specifications, sometimes with architects as well, is better safe than sorry, I'm going to leave in everything but the kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to understand is there should be nothing in your documents that isn't in your project. It's that simple. People think they can just run through this and edit it real quick and then throw it out there. 
you are writing a novel that fits your project. And so if it comes up later, write an ASI or write a change order and give them the information. You know, leaving in everything but the kitchen sink in case it comes up somewhere because you don't want to take the time to coordinate it. Because that's oftentimes a thing too. I don't want to go check. There are manuals that train contractors on how to find your mistakes or how to find the things that they can pin a change order on. The one I use in my class all the time as an example is called the Contractor's Guide to Change Orders. And it is step-by-step instructions. If you see they've left everything in there, here's how you make a conflict. Now, there are a lot of really great contractors out there that don't operate that way and don't play that way in a project. But there are plenty that do. Especially when you get into public work where you have to really ratchet down the cost to get the job because you have to be the low bidder. It's especially problematic there. If it's not on your project, take it out. If you don't know how to edit that spec, either go to somebody that does. I mean, and, and that's one of the biggest problems right now is a lot of people have no idea how the relationship of all the documents and how they play together and how they connect and what belongs where. You can literally say every single thing in a project once and only once. And those are the best documents. There's a reason for division one is rules for the project. So anything that applies to everything in the project, you can put in division one and never say it again in another section. And then if you have something beyond, you know, division one says, provide a two-year warranty on everything in this project. But you get to a roofing section, you need a 30-year warranty. Then you would write that in your roofing section, but you wouldn't repeat that you need a two-year warranty in that section because it's division one covers that. If you understand even the most basic rules of the road, then you are at least dangerous enough to ask the right questions at the right time of the right person. And the other thing is on the engineering side, if you don't know if it needs to be there, you know, it's one thing to know, okay, there's none of this stained concrete, take it out. But you don't know if maybe the architect is doing something and it might need to stay there, pick up the phone. (laughs) Have a conversation. We have to get out of our bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. And coordinate those things. If you have things that go wrong on every project, we all have them. You just, you feel like a broken record. God, here's this problem again. At my MEP firm, I made a coordination checklist of all the things I heard everybody around the company complaining about all the time over and over again that was a conflict on a project. I made this master coordination checklist for every, because we had all six of the MEP divisions in this firm, and got buy-in from the top brass in the company that all project managers had to take this checklist, call the architect and say, what are you doing for access panels? What are you doing for fireproofing? Where does the piping for the building end and the piping for the site start? What voltage are these outlets? Are they correct for the equipment that's going into that room? All of these different things, that alone, and it was a simple checklist, was a game changer because they were required to call the architect every single time and run down these questions. And it probably took 20 or 30 minutes worth of work to do that, right? Like, and it, it helped like seal the documents together that much better. Yeah. I mean, we're here, I think I had like 30 things on this checklist that were conflicts over and over and over again on every project. These are things architects should have been calling us and saying, but they weren't. None of them were. So I'm like, why aren't we being proactive? Let's just do it. I I remember the first PM in the company that called the first architect with this checklist. What are we doing here? What do we, and, and this 
architect was more well-versed in contract documents. Okay. And they were like, I have never in my career had a consultant call me and ask me these questions. And this is amazing. I love this. And can I have a copy of your checklist? Because I want to start using it with my other consultants. Yeah. You don't have to wait for somebody to tell you what to do sometimes. Yeah. You know, go big or go home is one of my mottos. Just take the reins and make that better yourself and, and pick up the phone and call and coordinate those things. Yeah. So do you see it as like three different ways of doing specs, I guess? Like one, you are either well-versed, you've been trained, or you'll hire someone that is trained, is licensed for spec writing or trained in spec writing, or hire someone like RDH. You guys are also spec writers, right? Do you sub-consult out to, no, you don't sub out to other. We're not a spec writing firm. We're a building enclosure consulting firm. So we do all the design of the enclosure, the roofs, the skin of the building, those kinds of things. Okay. We have written specs a couple of times for clients, but we're not a spec writing firm. Gotcha. But there are independent spec writers out there. So if you can't, you want to hire one and you can't find one, which is like everybody right now, <laughs> there is an association called SCIP, S-C-I-P. Specifications consultants in independent practice. Okay. And so on their website is a list of independent spec writers all over the country that are actually spec writing consulting firms that you can call them and say, I'm hiring you just to write our specs. You know, so that is one way you can do it. If you're going to have your staff write specs, I mean, I would not recommend having your staff write specs, <laughs> write their own specs. But I know a lot of companies are doing that and I know they're rolling their eyes at me right now. I would recommend at least making sure anybody who's touching a spec at the very minimum has the CDT education. So at least they have a basic rudimentary knowledge. If you're going to have them write a lot of specs, have them get the CCS and, and be a certified construction specifier. doesn't mean you have to be a spec writer to get it. I mean, I think all three of those should be just part of college. Yeah. You come into the workforce understanding how all of this works. I don't know how I could even possibly drive home what a game changer it would be if that happened. Just for everybody, that these problems we have over and over and over again would all disappear. Yeah. Well, and it's got to be so frustrating on the construction side of things because everything we do from a design perspective is magnified on the construction side, right? Because like virtually it takes a tenth of the time to do it as it does in the real world or whatever. So that's got to be so frustrating on the construction side of things too for everyone, for things that come back, change orders, all of the things. You don't want to hear the feedback I get from contractors. I have a lot of friends who are contractors and they do not have kind things to say most of the time uh, about design professionals, contract documents. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, they basically think we're all just clueless <laughs> because there's so much of a just throw it in there and hope it's right. Yeah. Heart's always in the right place. Trying to get it done. I think this is what you're supposed to put in there. Addressing things that you should never address or ask for in a spec. You should only address the things that fall under your stamp that you're ready to take responsibility for. Or one of my favorites on the architecture side is architectural firms that put their geotech report in their specs. They didn't prepare it. They're not experts in geotechnical analysis. Same with the hazardous materials report. You do not ever put those under your stamp. You can issue them to the bidders as a resource document, as an extra document, hey, bidders, you need to see this and you need to know about it. 
but you don't put it under your stamp because you're not qualified to even read that report and know if it's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. There's miles of these things that are really simple and you, you learn it once and they're not that hard to remember once you get the whole groove down, but nobody's teaching anybody. So it's just a, a bunch of bad habits over and over again that are taught and it gets worse over the years because you have more people coming in and just guessing at what they're supposed to do. It's not getting better unless they have somebody in their firm that is trained. I get phone calls all the time about things. You know, what, what are we supposed to do? What are, you know, because they have me here. But most consulting firms don't have spec writers. And I don't know how much that's going to change. So, uh, some of the bigger ones do, but most of them don't. They just have their, their people write their own. And that's why this education that you can get, this base education, to at least give you a working knowledge of, about how contractually all the documents work and, and the big red flags of what you're not supposed to say is so critically important. Architecture firms can't find a spec writer right now. Good luck to consulting firms. Right, right. You know. Uh, how much effort or time does it require for the CDT certification? Well, it depends. You know, if, if you're planning to take the exam, you're probably going to spend more time studying. If you're just taking the class to just soak it all up, my particular class is 12 weeks. I'm in the fall class period right now. I think we're, uh, this week will be class three out of 12. Some chapters in the country teach a little bit more abbreviated version. I don't feel like the content can be adequately addressed in anything less than 12, 12 weeks. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm not a fan of like the boot camp model, especially since there's so many young professionals entering our workforce right now because millennials and Gen Z are such huge generations. I think it's really important if you're going to do it to do it right. So I teach it for 12 weeks, two hours a week Okay. in my class. And then you have the textbook. And then if you choose to, you take the exam and you get some pretty new letters after your name. Yes. Nice, nice. <laughs> that speak volumes. You know, when I talk to a manufacturer's rep, it's the first thing I look for on their card is whether they have CDT. To understand, yes. Well, I just know we can have a different conversation right out of the gate about whatever products are information, technical information I'm trying to get, then if they don't have it, then I have to kind of educate as we talk so I get the stuff I need. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you think is the most fascinating thing in the industry right now? A lot excites me. As far as specs go, or what I do for a living, I picked two things. I picked a negative thing and a positive thing on things that are notable, if not fascinating. And one of them is our lack of communication and coordination. No building goes up without all of us. Nobody is more important on the project team than anybody else. But that project's not going to happen without every member of that project team contributing their piece. And the fact that most of the issues are a result partially for in-contract documents for lack of getting the appropriate education in contract documents by nobody's fault. You should not be getting out of school with this without it. But you can only blame the architects and the engineers, for not properly coordinating and collaborating. One of the things I tell my students, don't say this in my class, I don't have time. You don't have 10 times the amount of time later during construction to deal with this thing that you don't have time to find 10 minutes to make a phone call right now. So that kind of blows my mind. So it's fascinating to me how we can have this problem over and over and over again, and nobody fixes it. That just 
I love to study human behavior. It's like, what's wrong with you people? Yeah. On the positive side, because I have such a passion for teaching and mentoring, watching that light turn on, watching that person go, oh, that's why we do this. Or having this former student send me an email saying, Sharice, I got to tell you what I did today. My boss told me to do this, and I took my boss to school. And my boss was really impressed, and they didn't even know that, and they've been practicing architecture or engineering or whatever for 35 years. That's just a huge, for me, it's a huge win to, and to see all of a sudden people doing things differently. And, and they get one thing like that, and all of a sudden I'm getting 25 phone calls a day from that person instead of once in a blue moon because, wait, we got this thing fixed. It saved me a ton of time. You know, I'm not talking about just me, but just watching that really, truly the eyes light up and wow, this makes all the sense in the world and this cleans it up and this just cut my work in half. Yeah. If you're only saying it in one place. Yeah. Instead of four or two or whatever, that means you're only doing it once. Yeah. And to have the confidence in your documents too, right? Instead of like, eh, I don't know, like if we're supposed to have this in here, but I'm just going to put it in. But to have the confidence to know like you have what you need. Well, and if I ask you a question about your documents, I'm the contractor or whatever, you know exactly where to look for that answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know instinctively that there's nothing else conflicting that answer anywhere. And it's going to take a huge, huge behavior change in the industry to get this right. But the more we talk about it, the more somebody's going to listen to this episode. If even one person listens to this episode and goes, I need to go check out the CDT stuff, even if all they do is buy the book. Maybe they don't take the class or they don't get certified. I strongly recommend that. But even if they don't and they just get the book and start flipping through it when they're working, they're going to improve things. Yeah. And those little pebbles make big ripples. That's my hope. I'm going to change the world. Yeah. Before I kick it out <laughs> of this planet, I'm going to change the world. That's my, that's my motivation. So I don't know how fascinating that is. No, that's awesome. I love it. But those are big things that matter to me. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit, but what is your greatest wish or your greatest dream for the industry? <laughs> oh, there's a hard question to answer. <laughs> that everybody gets this education in school or barring that, that every employer makes it a requirement within the first year of employment at any level. My last round of classes in the spring, I had an architect in my class who was retired and I was like, awesome that you're here, but why are you here? You're done. Go fishing or go do whatever your thing is. And he said, I just, it sounded interesting. And I wanted to see how well I've been doing it over the years. And I don't know, maybe you get a little bored in retirement. I don't know that that's what I would choose to do in retirement. But, <laughs> and when the class was over, he said, I wish I would have known this on day one. And I can't believe how many things I didn't know and how much I learned in this class. And this is somebody over 40 years in the business who's done. You know, so it doesn't matter what level you are. If it was my company and I was queen of the world, it would be get signed up for the next round. That I don't care. I don't care if you were principal level. I don't care if you're fresh out of school. If you haven't had the education, it would be a requirement to work for me. No doubt in my mind that's how much it changes how well your projects come together, how coordinated they are, and how easy they are to understand and read without conflict. 
risk is what will kill you in this industry. Right, right. No, I love that. I think that's super cool. So if you could give a theme song to spec rating, what would the theme song be? So both of the songs I chose, because I couldn't decide which one I wanted, but it's the chorus of both, both of these songs, not necessarily all of the content of these songs, just going to say. Uh-huh. I chose the chorus of Ain't No Rest for the Wicked by Cage the Elephant. Love it. And the chorus of Work by Rihanna. Okay. <laughs> the, I know. And the reason for that is, is back to that I don't have time. The fact, at the end of the day, what... What we all need to remember is you're never going to be an expert in this business. It's too massive. There's too much to learn. And so you're going to be a lifelong learner. If you're smart, you're going to be, I wish I would have given my, somebody would have given me this advice when I was much younger. You're going to get a far better understanding of how all of your consultants work because it's different than the way you work and their exposure especially for, you know, what the architects know with the client and those front-end documents and contractual requirements, their exposure is far less. They don't know these things. It's not their fault they don't know these things. It's your job to tell them. But you're going to be learning your whole career, and it's always going to be work. Contract documents, period, have never were never meant to be this quick thing you throw together to throw out there. You don't see anybody waiting till the day before the project goes out to start their drawings. Remember, these are equal in the eyes of the law. You're never going to stop learning. It's never going to be easy because every project is like a a child. It's a unique individual that's going to have special unique needs, and every spec is meant to represent that. Every set of drawings is meant to represent that. So I picked both of those because, you know, it's just basically about money don't grow on trees. I'm going to be working at this the rest of my career. But doing a little more work than you do now will be a game changer in how much work you have to do down the road. I love both of those songs. <laughs> I'm thinking about this too. As architects and engineers, we spend so much time and effort and heart goes into our designs. And then like to leave it untied, like to leave loose ends is like not great, right? So like how awesome to be able to just tie it up at the end. <laughs> Well, and contractually, your design is only half of the project. Part of your design is in that written word, your Bible, your specification, because that's, you know, you can draw what those walls are, but what are those walls made of? You know, that's, that is a part of your design, but most people, I hate to say it, most design professionals hate specifications. They want to design, and, and I get that. Yeah. But this is a part of that design and an equal part to the drawings. Regardless, by the way, of whether you have a precedent statement in your contract, your precedent statement doesn't mean diddly squat in court because you're supposed to have these two separate pieces of the puzzle and the building only works when you put them together because they have two different sets of information. So, yeah, it's it's been a battle my whole, whole career. It continues to be a battle every day with everybody I talk to, but a lot of people have changed the way they work. Mm-hmm. I think just sharing information on like on this podcast here and on your podcast too, just like sharing that information and that knowledge is so beneficial. And I think just like you're saying, it's, it's creating those ripples to hopefully give it some importance that maybe hasn't been there for a while or forever. And it is like people who take my class, they go back to their office and they go, the next day after class, I learned this last night. Did you know we're not supposed to do this? Did you know that you're not supposed to have this in your your documents? Did you know that's not supposed to be in your drawings? 
I have yet to see a set of drawings at any point in my career that I haven't been able to bleed all over of information that didn't belong there. So it does ripple. And who knows how far that goes. But that information doesn't end with that person that came to my class or that heard this podcast. They go share it with somebody else. And and you hope maybe it's one small little arena. Like maybe somebody tomorrow doesn't make any changes on their submittal without a change order or an ASI. But I'm hoping that will start spreading more than the misinformation and the bad habits that we've had for my entire career. Can hope. Yeah, love it. So, Sharice, how do you recharge? Like, what do you do to uh, <laughs> fuel <laughs> all of the energy that you need for doing all of your specification work? Well, you know, specs are a very focused, very technical focused, quiet, I need to concentrate kind of activity. And surprisingly enough, with my personality type, I, I do well with that but I can't do just that. And so part of what I do to recharge is more work. You know, I, I host the podcast and then teach the class and these are all industry related things. They're not my job. And that helps feed professionally the more extroverted side of me, speaking engagements, things like that. For fun, anything goes, you know, I've jumped out of an airplane. I go to, I went to, <laughs> you're going to laugh this last weekend Portland, which I had no idea, this is new to me, and they've been doing it for years, they have grown-up soapbox derby races on a little miniature mountain we have here right in the middle of the city. And I was cheering for either the car that looked like Mater or the car that looked like a dumpster fire in Portland. I went up with some friends, you know, and, and we took some little libations with us and sat there all day in the sun and watched these crazy people grown-up people race soapbox derby. So I like to travel. I love people. So I have season tickets to the Timbers. Sometimes I go scream my head off at a bunch of soccer players or scream my head off at the TV for a football game. Love it. Cowboys, right? Cowboys, am I right? Yes, yes. <laughs> go Cowboys, go Cowboys. Now nobody's going to want to listen to this. They're going to go, I'm glad we heard that at the end because we wouldn't have listened <laughs> if we knew that. Whatever. Yes, diehard Cowboys fan. I like to get out and do new things and have, I call it, I don't call it a bucket list. I call it my adventure list. You know, whatever gets me away from the computer and forces me to not think about work. Because otherwise I'd sit here 24 hours a day and that's that's not good for you either. Right. Need some balance. Awesome. Yep. Well, Sharice, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on and telling us more about specification writing and really dispelling some kind of, I guess, areas there that I didn't know about. So thanks for sharing all of your expertise and your information. And thank you so much for what you're doing on ARCAD's detailed podcast. You are putting out great content with that as well. And also thanks for training everyone on how to write these specs. So this has been a pleasure. Always love talking to you. And it is no surprise to me that you like to do very social things and that you have melded with detailed as well with your podcast. Like that makes perfect sense to me because you are a people person, a connection person, and it just makes perfect sense to me. So thanks for being on and thanks for all that you do. Well, thank you so much for having me. And for anybody out there that happens to be going to Greenbuild in September, 
I'm going to be there at the RCAT booth doing some live interviews and meeting more people. So <laughs> feel free to stop by and say hello. Awesome. You should come hang out too because I know we had fun at AIA. It'd be fun to go <laughs> hang out there. So yes, we will have to connect off the interview and see how that'll work. But yes, this has been great. This has been fun. Again, I may have promised prematurely about this being the most exciting conversation about structural engineering and specifications. But I think, (laughs) I think we may have got at least close to that, that award. So (laughs) you really should not drink before you host a podcast. Just (laughs) say it. (laughs) Thank you again for having me. It's been, it's always lovely to see you and talk to you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day I, i i don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.